Salutations, thriller and horror devotees. I am Melisette, your ardent hostess. On this podcast, I'll be reading stories, and each episode will be a chapter from a classic or a contemporary work. Sometimes I'll have special previews, science fiction, horror, thrillers. Uh, yeah, those are my specialties. When one book is complete, we will move on to another. It will be a pleasure if you accompany me through tales from the timeless past or maybe the dystopian future. Either way, let the ceremony commence. Welcome to my parlor, said the spider to the fly. That's right, fools. It is I, Orokosaki, a.k.a. the Shredder. And I have taken over a frightful fret with Melisette. You came here looking for your ASMR tingles, but you will not have them. No, instead, I will edify you with 19th century literature knowledge. Yes, I am a scholar with with a genius intellect. Therefore, today will be about education. Right. Right. All right. Uh, where did you leave off? I feel like the substitute teacher getting ready to actually do some work. You ever had that sub who comes into a classroom and does not open the paper? They ask you where you left off. It's like, what, what, who asked this guy to be a hero? You know, well... I am, I will be that hero for you imbeciles. All right, I'm I'm being rough on you. I'm just joking. It's me, Orokusaki. A little background. Uh, You may remember me from my days trying to overthrow the earth Uh, from Dimension X, hanging with Krang. Uh, I've put that behind me. Um, yes, I've served my time. I've paid my debt to society, and now I podcast every Saturday uh, with a Shredhead podcast. Uh, I've been trying to turn my my life around, turn over a new leaf, and that leaf has been podcasting. Uh, We're about a good five episodes in. Actually, one was just released as of the time of this recording so uh you know after you're done here listening to my dulcet tones uh you may rush over uh to whatever podcast uh streaming service you have or you know if you want to download it you can go on to red circle but whatever you can do it do what you want you know do do exactly what you want uh Let's see, where did you leave off? I'm reading chapter three today. Actually, before we get into the text itself, I just wanted to uh, tie together or um, pretty much kind of explain my kins- my kinship kinship to, uh, to this very tale. Um, as some of you may remember, it was I who built the body of uh, my best friend, Krang. Krang, shout out to Krang. Krang is actually the engineer on the Shredhead pod, but uh, anyway, you remember, 
I built the body of my man Krang, uh, my main brain, I should say. Uh, I, I, I built the body and I placed, uh, no, I built it, then I, I, I did, I put some electricity to it, uh, to, you know, in, in layman's terms, I should say. And uh, as some of you may remember, as a shout out to actual Frankenstein, not the book per se, I don't think they say it in the book ever. Uh, he's a, it's alive. Remember I did that. Uh, that was funny. I always wanted to say it's alive. And, and I'm sure all of us here, all of us scholars here are well aware of the, uh, the misquoted He's Alive in the, uh, by Colin Clive in the uh, 1931 film. I'm sure all of us know that. Um, but really, I think we're missing the point that maybe Frankenstein's monster uh, was non-binary. Anybody ever think of that? Whoa. I just blew your mind. Also, did you know that my friend Rocksteady uh, is also non-binary? You can find that and many other facts on the shredded pod. Now that I have taken over sufficiently, let us get into our text. First, let's uh, run down exactly what we remember from Chapter 2 in review. Uh, Elizabeth and Victor were growing up together. Uh, Victor became friends. Well, he had already been friends with Henry, but they were getting on uh, rather well in their childhood and their friendship there. Uh, and then uh, we, we fast forward a little bit to uh, Victor as a teenager. Uh, he starts dabbling in, uh, well, not dabbling as much as reading up on some alchemy from uh, Cornelius Agrippa. Then uh, there's Paracelsus, <laughs> Paracelsus, sheesh, and uh, Magnus there. Uh, and then he witnesses, here it is, he witnesses the destructive power of nature when during a raging storm, lightning destroys a tree near his house. A modern natural philosopher accompanying the Frankenstein family explains to Victor the workings of electricity. Ah, yes. Anyway, so that also kind of uh, made back made the uh, references of the uh, the uh, the aforementioned alchemist a little outdated, uh, which let him know that science was an ever changing, uh, an ever changing fickle mistress that. They were still learning many, many things from, uh, especially, you know, again, it's it's the 1600s versus the 1800s. You know, come on, cut the guys some, cut the guys a break. And without further ado, seven minutes in, let us get to chapter three. When I had attained the age of 17, my parents resolved that I should become a student at the University of Ingolstadt. I had hitherto attended the schools of Geneva, but my father thought it necessary for the completion of my education that I should be made acquainted with the other customs than those of my native country. 
My departure was therefore fixed at an early date, but before the day resolved upon could arrive, the first misfortune of my life occurred, an omen, as it were, of my future misery. Elizabeth had caught the scarlet fever. Her illness was severe, and she was in the greatest danger. During her illness, many arguments had been urged to persuade my mother to refrain from attending upon her. She had at first yielded to our entreaties, but when she heard that the life of her favorite was menaced, she could no longer control her anxiety. She attended her sickbed. Her watchful attentions triumphed over the malignity of this the distemper. Elizabeth was saved, but the consequences of this imprudence were fatal to her preserver. On the third day, my mother sickened. Her fever was accompanied by the most alarming symptoms, and the looks of her medical attendants prognosticated the worst event. On her deathbed, the fortitude and benignity of the best of women did not desert her. She joined the hands of Elizabeth and myself. My children, she said, my firmest hopes of future happiness were placed on the prospect of your union. This expectation will now be the consolation of your father. Elizabeth, my love, you must supply my place to my younger children. Alas, I regret that I am taken from you. And happy and beloved as I have been, it is not hard to quit you all. But these are not thoughts befitting me. I will endeavor to resign myself cheerfully to death and will indulge a hope of meeting you in another world. She died calmly, and her countenance expressed affection even in death. I need not describe the feelings of those whose dearest ties are rent by the most irreparable evil. The void that presents itself to the soul and the despair that is exhibited on the countenance. It is so long before the mind can persuade itself that she, whom we saw every day, and whose very existence appeared a part of our own, can have departed forever. That the brightness of a beloved eye can be extinguished, and the sound of a voice so familiar and dear to the ear can be hushed, never more to be heard. These are the reflections of the first days. But when the lapse of time proves the reality of evil, then the actual bitterness of grief commences. Yet from whom has not that rude hand rent away some dear connection? And why should I describe the sorrows of which I have felt and must feel? The time at length arrives when grief is rather an indulgence than a necessity and the smile that plays upon the lips, although it may be deemed a sacrilege, is not banished. My mother was dead, but we had still duties which we ought to perform. We must continue our course with the rest and learn to think ourselves fortunate whilst one remains whom the spoiler has not seized. My departure for Ingolstadt, which had been deferred by these events, was now again determined upon. 
I obtained from my father a respite of some weeks. It appeared to me sacrilege so soon to leave the repose akin to death of the house of mourning and to rush into the thick of life. I was new to sorrow, but it did not the less alarm me. I was unwilling to quit the sight of those that remained to me, and above all, I desired to see my sweet Elizabeth in some degree consoled. She indeed veiled her grief and strove to act the comforter to us all. She looked steadily on life and assumed its duties with courage and zeal. She devoted herself to those whom she had been taught to call her uncle and cousins. Never was she so enchanting as at this time when she recalled the sunshine of her smiles and spent them upon us. She forgot even her own regret in her endeavors to make us forget. The day of my departure at length arrived. Clerval spent the last evening with us. He had endeavored to persuade his father to permit him to accompany me and to become my fellow student, but in vain. His father was a narrow-minded trader and saw idleness and ruin in the aspirations and ambition of his son. Henry deeply felt the misfortune of being debarred from a liberal education. He said little, but when he spoke, I read in his kind... He said little, but when he spoke, I read in his kindling eye and in his animated glance as restrained but firm resolve not to be chained to the miserable details of commerce. We sat late. We could not tear ourselves away from each other, nor persuade ourselves to say the word farewell. It was said, and we retired under the pretense of seeking repose, each fancying that the other was deceived, but when at morning's dawn I descended to the carriage which was to convey me away, they were all there, my father again to bless me, Clerval to press my hand once more, my Elizabeth to renew her entreaties that I would write often, and to bestow the last feminine attentions on her playmate and friend. I threw myself into the chase that was to convey me away and indulged in the most melancholy reflections. I, who had ever been surrounded by amiable companions, continually engaged in endeavoring to bestow mutual pleasure, I was now alone. In the university, whither I was going, I must form my own friends and be my own protector. My life had hitherto been remarkably secluded and domestic, and this had given me invincible repugnance to the new countenances. I loved my brothers, Elizabeth and Clerval. These were old, familiar faces, but I believed myself totally unfitted for the company of strangers. Such were my reflections as I commenced my journey, but as I proceeded, my spirits and hopes rose. I ardently desired acquisition of knowledge. I had often, when at home, thought it hard to remain during my youth cooped up in one place, and had longed to enter the world and take my station among other human beings. 
Now my desires were compiled with, and it would indeed have been folly to repent. I had sufficient leisure for these and many other reflections during my journey to Ingolstadt, which was long and fatiguing. At length, the high white steeple of the town met my eyes. I alighted and was conducted to my solitary apartment to spend the evening as I pleased. The next morning, I delivered my letters of introduction and paid a visit to some of the principal professors. Chance, or rather the evil influence, the angel of destruction, which asserted omnipotent sway over me from the moment I turned my reluctant steps from my father's door, led me first to M. Krempe, professor of natural philosophy. He was an uncouth man, but deeply imbued in the secrets of his science. He asked me several questions concerning my progress in the different branches of science appertaining to natural philosophy. I replied carelessly and partly in contempt, mentioned the names of my alchemist as the pro principal authors I had studied. The professor stared. Have you, he said, really spent your time in studying such nonsense? I replied in the affirmative. Every minute continued M. Krimp with warmth. Every instant that you have wasted on those books is utterly and entirely lost. You have burdened your memory with exploded systems and useless names. Good God, in what desert land have you lived where no one was kind enough to inform you that these fancies which you have so greedily imbibed are thousands of years old and must, as musty as they are ancient. I little expected in this enlightened and scientific age to find a disciple of Albertus Magnus and Paracelsus. My dear sir, you must begin your studies entirely anew. So saying, he stepped aside and wrote down a list of several books treating of natural philosophy which he desired me to procure and dismissing me after mentioning that in the beginning of the following week he intended to commence a course of lectures upon natural philosophy in its general relations and that M. Waldman, a fellow professor, would lecture upon chemistry in the alternate days that he omitted. I returned home, not disappointed, for I have said that I had long considered those authors useless whom the professor reprobated. But I return, not at all the more inclined to recur to these studies in any shape. M. Krempe was a little squat man with a gruff voice and a repulsive countenance. The teacher, therefore, did not repossess me in favor of his pursuits in rather a too philosophical and connected a strain, perhaps I have given an account of the conclusions I had come to concerning in my early days. As a child, I had not been content with the results promised by the modern professors of natural science. With a confusion of ideas only to be accounted for by my extreme youth and my want of a guide on such matters, I had retrod the steps of knowledge along the path of time and exchanged the discoveries of recent inquirers 
for the dreams of forgotten alchemists. Besides, I had a contempt for those of modern natural philosophy. It was very different when the masters of science sought immortality and power. Such views, although futile, were grand. But now, the scene was changed. The ambition of the Inquirer seemed to limit itself to the annihilation of those visions on which my interest in science was chiefly founded. I was required to exchange chimeras of boundless grandeur for realities of little worth. Such were my reflections during the first two or three days of my residence at Ingolstadt, which were chiefly spent in becoming acquainted with the localities and the principal residents in my new abode. But as the ensuing week commenced, I thought of the information which M. Krimpy had given me concerning the lectures, and although I could not consent to go and hear that little conceited fellow deliver sentences out of a pulpit, I recollected what he had said of M. Waldman, who I had never seen, as he had hitherto been out of town. Partly from curiosity and partly from idleness, I went to the lecturing room which M. Waldman entered shortly after. This professor was very unlike his colleague. He appeared about fifty years of age, but with the an aspect expressiveness of the greatest benevolence. A few gray hairs covered his temples, but those at the back of his head were nearly black. His person was short, but remarkably erect, and his voice the sweetest I had ever heard. He began his lecture with a recapitulation of the history of chemistry and the various improvements made by different men of learning, pronouncing with fervor the names of the most distinguished discoverers. He then took a cursory view of the present state of the science and explained many of its elementary terms. After having made a few preparatory experiments, he concluded with a panegyric upon modern chemistry, the terms of which I shall never forget. <clears throat> the ancient teachers of this science, said he, promised impossibilities and performed nothing. The modern masters promised very little. They know that metals cannot be transmuted, and that the elixir of life is a chimera. But these philosophers, whose hands seem only made to dabble in dirt, and their eyes to pore over the microscope or crucible, have indeed performed miracles. They penetrate into the recesses of nature, and show how she works in her hiding places. They ascend into the heavens, they have discovered how the blood circulates, and the nature of the air we breathe. They have acquired new and almost unlimited powers, and can command the thunders of heaven, mimic the earthquake, and even mock the invisible world of its own shadows. Such were the professor's words, rather, let me say such of the words of the fate, enounced to destroy me. As he went on, I felt as if my soul were grappling with the palpable enemy. One by one, the various keys were touched with formed the mechanism of my being. Chord after chord was sounded, and soon my mind was filled with one thought, one conception, one purpose. So much had been done, exclaimed the souls of Frankenstein. 
more, far more will I achieve. Treading in the steps are already marked. I will pioneer a new way, explore unknown powers, and unfold to the world the deepest mysteries of creation. I close not my eyes that night. My internal being was in a state of insurrection and turmoil. I felt that order would thence arise, but I had no power to produce it. By degrees, after the morning's dawn, sleep came. I awoke, and my yesternight's thoughts were as a dream. There only remained a resolution to return to my ancient studies, and to devote myself to a science for which I believed myself to possess a natural talent. On the same day I paid M. Waldman a visit. His manners in private were even more mild and attractive than in public, for there was a certain dignity in his mind during his lecture, which in his own house was replaced by the greatest affability and kindness. I gave him pretty nearly the same account of my former pursuits as I had given to his fellow professor. He heard with attention the little narration concerning my studies, and smiled at the name of Cornelius Agrippa and Paracelsus, but without the contempt that M. Krempe had exhibited. He said that these were men whose indefatigable zeal modern philosophers were indebted for most of the foundations for their knowledge. They had left us an easier task to give new names and arrange in connected classifications the facts which they in great degree have been the instruments of bringing to light. The labors of men of genius, however erroneously directed, scarcely ever fail in ultimately turning to the solid advantage of mankind. I listened to his statement, which was delivered without any presumption or affectation, and then added that his lecture had removed any prejudices against modern chemists. I expressed myself in measured terms with the modesty and deference due from a youth to his instructor without letting escape inexperience in life would have made me ashamed. Any of the enthusiasms which stimulated my intended labors. I requested his advice concerning the books I ought to procure. I am happy, said M. Waldman, to have gained a disciple, and if your application equals your ability, I have no doubt of your success. Chemistry is the branch of natural philosophy in which the greatest improvements have been and may be made. It is on the account that I have made it my particular study, but at the same time, I have not neglected the other branches of science. A man would make but a very sorry chemist if he attended to that department of human knowledge alone. If your wish is to become really a man of science and not merely a petty experimentalist, I should advise you to apply to every branch of natural philosophy, including mathematics. He then took me into his laboratory and explained to me the uses of his various machines, instructing me as to what I ought to procure, and promising me the use of his own when I should have advanced far enough in science not to derange their mechanism. 
He also gave me the list of books which I had requested, and I took my leave. Thus ended a day memorable to me. It decided my future destiny. And that, my dear Freakazoids, is Chapter 3. Oh man, it sounds like young Frankenstein has had a fire lit under his ass. And if I could light a fire under you, it would be to get you to check out the Shredhead Podcast, of course. First and foremost, check me out on the gram at I'm the Shredder. If you have not, which I don't understand why you wouldn't, of course, follow a frightful fret with Melisette. Of course, of course you check it out, whatever. Uh, why would why would you be here if you weren't? Uh, also, we've got an event coming up in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Comics in color. Come check it out. It's April 4th, 2020 AD. It's a free comic festival. Kind of like a comic con, but I guess you can't use that term legally. But uh, it's a convention, so come check it out. It'll be in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Uh, you can check them out at comicsincolor.org. Head on down. It's a free event. Bring the children. Wear costumes. You know, have all the fun. Uh, that's all that I'll have from here. Maybe your mommy will be back next week. Maybe she won't. Maybe it will be me again. That would be fun, wouldn't it? I, uh, I had a good time reading to you all. And I hope that those of you who are here for the right reasons were edified today. Um, what's that over there? Ninja Vanish. Thank you.